Passing Dimes is proud to welcome a new partner to the show, Momentum Pro Camps. Momentum Pro Camps runs volleyball camps across Ontario, bringing professional athletes, coaches, and resources to communities, clubs, and partners. Momentum's mission is to inspire and develop high performers for life, and they're doing just that. Unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, Momentum has suspended all programming until permitted by local public health recommendations. However, they have developed incredible future programming for athletes to benefit from and are excited to share it with all of you when we can play again. Follow us on social media at Momentum Pro Camps for updates and details on future programs or email us at contact at MomentumProCamps.com. Stay excellent, friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Times. Really excited for today's guest. If you've ever seen him play live, wow, what a middle, what an impressive athlete. I can't wait to get into it and nerd out about some stuff. So today's guest played club for Canuck Dinos, where he's won multiple medals on the provincial and national circuit here in Canada. He's a U Sports National Champion with Trinity Western, and he's t- uh, currently training with Team Canada in Gatineau and spending some time on his off day that we really appreciate. Welcome to the show, Jackson Howe. Jackson, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. So how's how's everything going in Gatineau so far? I think you guys have been there as we're recording this just over a week now. Like, how's training going? How's everybody kind of looking? Because everybody's kind of starting at a different point, right? Like with COVID pausing the U Sports season, I, I guess guys are maybe not able to be trained and game ready when they arrived, right? Yeah, um, it's been it's been kind of a bit of a slow process. Uh, we all had to get a our PCR test, so our COVID test before we arrived. And, and then once we landed, we had to wait about four or five days until we could start training. Um, so all the guys were ready and, you know, we had all our uh, necessary uh, precautions with COVID and everything. So, um, yeah, it's been kind of pretty slow the, the last week and a bit, but um, starting starting to ramp up uh, training more and more and got a lot of a lot of young guys here so i think our, our oldest players are like brandon coppers and byron Katarakis. so yeah it's a fun group of guys yeah that's such a good point that most of the team is still university age and like the vets are man byron you would have played against copper as a byron they're maybe what two years older than you at the most uh yeah he was out well he was uh, in his fifth year at uh, UBC when I was in my first year, um, 2018. Um, that's when they uh, they won um, the national championship that year. So got to play play against him for a year, and and that I actually got to um, train with him that summer, that 2018 summer as well. Awesome. So exciting for the program. So to get our listeners up to speed on kind of how you ended up here with the national team and playing for a top program like Trinity, uh, in doing some research for the show, it looks like you were a multi-sport athlete growing up. Is that true? Like you were a, a pretty decent soccer player. You played some basketball and then you got into volleyball kind of when you were in high school, right? Like what was what was kind of your relationship with sport growing up? And then when did you switch to volleyball being your, your full-time sport? Yeah, I, uh, I played a lot of different sports. I, I, my dad wanted me to get into hockey right away so um i obviously played like every most kids i guess play soccer and it's playing soccer for a while um and i was playing with with uh, my twin sister and um i thought i was pretty good at soccer for a while but then as soon as it split up with uh, just uh, 
males and females um, when they separated the two. I realized I wasn't too good, so I kind of dropped dropped that sport. <laughs> Not super well with my feet. So, um, but then I I mostly played uh, lacrosse and hockey uh, for a majority of my childhood, and then um, yeah, transferred to basketball and um, volleyball in uh, around junior high. It's about a five foot setter um, initially with volleyball, and, and um, I uh, always always loved to jump. I uh, I had hopes, not hops yet. I uh, I just wanted uh, to jump high and hit hard. But yeah, I was a small guy in the team for for a little bit there, so I just set the ball. <laughs> nice. And did your your sister's success in volleyball have any influence on you? Like, obviously, her athletic career and what she's been able to achieve in volleyball. Like, was that something you guys talked about together? Or did she maybe get into it a touch before you did? Yeah, she was. Uh, so she grew so much quicker than I did. She was at one point about eight inches taller than me. So it was more like having an older sister. She's a lot more mature than me for a while. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's, we've like pushed each other a whole life, like one-on-one on the driveway, playing basketball, playing 21. Sometimes it ends with tears and I'm not saying who it is, who it is but <laughs> um, yeah. So I think uh, she's been a very substantial um, person in my life as far as athletics goes, because um, we've both been really passionate um, to achieve a high high level for ourselves. And um, yeah, even just stuff like uh, high school, we started working out together in, a, in around yeah, grade 10, grade 11. Um, so yeah, she's been a big, uh, big person for that. Nice, nice. It's so cool to hear about the, the athletic support you had in your family. But in, in, again, trying to do some research for the show, did you go to high school with both Elsers? I think Pierce was there. Uh, he would have been a little bit older. And then uh, I don't know if he was too far away for you to know, but did Riley Barnes also go to the same high school? Like what, what area are you growing up in Alberta that just has all these athletic volleyball players coming through? I don't know what it is, but uh, yeah, I uh, Pierce did go there. He was grade 12 when I was in grade 10. And uh, Jesse and I were in the same grade at Scarlet. And then... Um, in my final year, my grade 12 year, um, Matias was there in grade 10 and he played up on our team. But yeah, a lot of great volleyball players have been through um, Scarlet. There was Brett Walsh was there, Riley Barnes, Jeremy Davies. Um, and then as far as my family goes, I had uh, my dad even went there um, back in the day. And uh, then my, my older brother as well. He, he played at Winnipeg, but he played volleyball there. And my sister. So just, yeah, a whole heap of, uh, volleyball players i'm not sure how they are now but for a while they had some pretty good players coming through and is there a teacher or a coach you'd like to give a shout out like it was it kind of just a, a great time and maybe like club volleyball was really popular in the alberta area that like that's why the school was doing well or was there somebody at the school who was really making sure everybody like fell in love with volleyball and have, was having a good experience uh yeah i back in the day i think I think the coaches have switched kind of back and forth. I had um, my coach was uh, Miss Prince. Um, she, I think, she has some um, experience in um, in volleyball, like playing with the national team. But she was a really good coach when I was there. And then we also had a guy, uh, Mr. Calhoun, and uh, shout out to him. He was he was a very uh, unique kind of character, but he was uh, he was a lot of fun. 
but I don't I don't really know what the reasoning is. I just I don't know why people kind of gravitated towards that. I think I just a player every every few years a good player goes there and that attracts other people and like when Jesse wanted to go there and because I think that was his designated school out of uh, middle school um, and it wasn't mine so I wanted to go to high school where some good volleyball players were and some some friends were so that might be the reason yeah nice nice and then uh what age did you feel like you started playing club volleyball and you wanted to take it serious like was there a certain point that you wanted to play club and then maybe with your older brother like you knew what post-secondary was going to be like and you started to pursue that like do do you remember a point in time where you knew that like volleyball was going to be something you wanted to pursue yeah i uh I think it was about U6, U16. I actually, I had, uh, I was playing for a club called uh, Kando West, and my uh, my head coach is actually um, Bruce Edwards. Um, he has a lot of, he's a legend for the national team. And around that time, I I just remember just going to practice, being really excited every day to just get on the court. And I felt like the people I was interacting with were really, really high quality um, throughout throughout playing volleyball and on various teams. Um, yeah, I just, I remember pretty, pretty clearly like just going to practice in U16 and being really exciting and thinking like, I think this is the sport for me. Like I, I love basketball and I, I loved hockey and lacrosse and stuff, but it was a little, it was getting a little bit too much for me. So that's kind of when I wanted to branch off and, and stick with volleyball. Nice, nice. And do you remember what your recruiting journey was? Because I'm just like, I pulled up an article earlier today and uh, in the, I think it was the first season you played 18 years, excuse me, maybe, maybe the second, I'll just flat out ask you. Uh, Fogg ended up winning and they had Max Elgert, who's the U of A setter right now, great player. Uh, Shawan Vernon Evans and yep. Tariq Sani were the Pac-Man guys and had great uh, careers here in Ontario and Shawan's on our national team now. Uh, looks like Eric Lepke's team finished fourth. Uh, you're there with Dinos. It looks like Jesse Elser's there with Dinos. Like it just looks like a pretty, or excuse me, maybe that was the year you played 17U, and I'm reading off the 18U names. But it looks like a pretty stacked year to of athletes over and over again. So did that help you just kind of know that post secondary was going to be another level? Just because there's so many coaches around watching like this 17U and 18U cycle about to come through because there's just so many good athletes. Yeah, that was that was my first uh, U18 year. Um, yeah, the recruiting process there was interesting. I think by yeah, by that time I was I think I just started talking to Trinity um and a few other schools. I think U of A and Winnipeg, my brother was going there. But yeah, that I think that was the first time maybe that that season where I thought uh post secondary was a possibility cuz before that my I didn't really, I didn't, my expectations were pretty low. I just, uh, I didn't really think about it a whole lot. Um, I had an older brother I watched quite a bit. He played a year at uh, Capilano and um, his recruiting process was a little different, like kind of hard. He was going to go to UBC and then things didn't work out and went to college for Capilano and then ended up in Winnipeg. So from his experience, I kind of had an idea what, what it would look like. But yeah, U18 around that tournament was the first time I just started getting reached out uh, to some coaches that, that season. 
Nice, nice. And did having a twin have any influence that like you both end up at Trinity? Like, was that something you two discussed that obviously just you've grown up with a sibling so close your whole life that maybe university you guys wanted to pursue the same one? Or did that just happen by chance? And like you said, you were considering like uh, U of A, Winnipeg, Trinity, like it, it seems like a ton of Canuck guys have gone to Calgary over the years. Like when you started to narrow down your list, what kind of went into that decision? Well, I think I think a big part of that is you got to think about like, um, am I like a homebody or do I want to, to leave home? And I think for me, I was I was ready to leave home, just try to explore something, something new, kind of make it my own, have more uh, independence. Um, so that was a big factor. And I think seeing Hillary leave. Um, as well as my brother, I kind of saw, um, I guess their kind of lifestyle and I, I went on, uh, a recruiting trip, uh, to Trinity and also, um, also watched quite a bit of Hillary's games. And I think I flew down there one time to watch one of her games as, as well. So I kind of had a pretty good idea what Trinity was like, um, which, uh, when I, I spent quite a bit of time with, uh, with like Hillary's team when, I don't know, they would come over and have a meal before a game or whatnot if they were in Calgary. So I kind of had an idea what it was like. Nice. Yeah. I'm sure getting to know the women's team probably helped like just the sense of what the athletics department's all about. Did you, uh, did you have a chance to have any conversations with Pierce? Like were you guys close in high school and you could reach out to him and ask questions or was there any existing Trinity guys that kind of helped seal the deal and convince you that was going to be a good spot for you? Yeah. Um, so I had at the time when I was in grade 12, I had yeah three guys that I talked to a decent amount. And the first guy was uh, Pierce for sure. I, I started to get to know him uh, when he was uh, at Scarlet for a little bit. He was two grades older. So it wasn't like we're in each other's classes or anything. And I played on the junior team, but I, uh, Jesse and I played up, uh, for provincials. I got to know Pierce a little bit more and uh, he was a guy I talked to um, a decent amount. And uh, another guy was uh, Maddox Greed. He was on my Canuck Dinos team and he reached out a few times and he was a pretty big factor of coming to Trinity as well. Uh, and then uh, Eric, Eric Lebke um, was um, seeing my sister at the time actually. And uh, and I could talk to him quite a bit, and he spent some time in the summer uh, at my at my cabin out in BC. So I had a few guys I could talk to. So I had uh, I had a lot of resources to gather as much information as I can about uh, the program at Trinity. Nice, nice. And we recently had your your Gatineau roommate Brody on on the show, and he did a great job. And he, one thing he shared that I thought was very impressive is uh, Benjo and the other coaches there at Trinity do a good job of like laying out a plan. And I'm curious if it's not too personal, if you would share yours, just what the conversations were with the coaches, because uh, obviously like a, a young guy, a talented guy coming from the club world, like some people want to start right away. They want to have certain roles on the team where it seems like Ben's pretty honest about what you're getting into and kind of the, the four or five year plan he's going to lay out for athletes. So I'm just curious what the conversation was with, with not only the players, but what were the coaches telling you about uh, why you were going to be such a good fit at Trinity? I think, uh, first of all, I, uh, I, my background, I, 
I come from a, a Christian family, so um, Trinity Western being a Christian school, I thought that fit in uh, really well. And so, like, as far as value values goes, and then, yeah, Ben Joe was really, really honest, like, with his plan. Like, he had it all mapped out. Like, he told me, he told me the starting line in my, like, third year, what it was going to be. And, and it, that's what it was. Like, it, it happened. Like, he, he's got it <laughs> planned out pretty, pretty well. It's pretty amazing. Um, but he said, he said to me, he was really honest. He said, like, you're not going to start until your third year. Like Aaron Betcher, he's definitely my, my favorite middle to watch. Um, when I watched you sports, he was playing and he was going his fourth year. And Ben Joe said like, yeah, he's, he's going to be ahead of you. And Pierce is ahead of you, like two really talented middles, but, um, like you're going to be pushed and you're going to be worked and you'll, I like it. you'll eventually kind of fit into the line, but you'll have you'll have to wait. Right? And yeah, I just I wanted to take uh, yeah, take that challenge on. Like I, I was fully prepared for sitting my first two years and um, just getting be- better and um, developing as as a player. But uh, it turns out that Aaron uh, Betcher, he I think he might have tore his uh, rotator cuff, or yeah, he, he had to he had his arm in a sling for maybe like six months like it was pretty brutal but so I ended up actually st- getting to start but um yeah Benjo was very very honest um with what what the, uh it was gonna look like for me and um and I was just I was really impressed how far he mapped out who he has and what position and he's he's got it down to science yeah, that's that's great to hear. And I think uh, Ben Joe's so giving with the community that uh, he gave this presentation at VNL in Ottawa and, and just about block defense. And I'm curious with you entering as your first year because you are across the net from Pierce and Aaron and there's so many talented wing hitters that like Ben Joe shared his philosophy that you need to really block the primary at your level. Like guys are hitting too hard to rely on somebody to like fill a gap and dig these balls that the hitter is always going to beat the digger, but the he really values like the blocking position. So with, with you coming from club and being a pretty darn good athlete, like how often were you working on blocking in practice and going against these top hitters? Like, was there a big learning curve there for you felt or, or coming off of a top club team? Like you fit into the gym pretty well. Like, do you remember that those first few practices and just the emphasis that uh, the Trinity system does put on blocking? Yeah, it was, Oh man, I was lost up there. Like I just remember thinking it was so much quicker than club, like just closing the block and, Benjo's telling me to put my hands down and to split. And I was almost, I kind of remember I was almost uh, like, I guess crammed with too much information where I was trying to do everything right instead of focusing on one thing at a time. And, uh, and with blocking, it's just such a difficult skill to, to perfect. And I think I can continually um, work on, but, yeah, particularly in my first year, that was a big emphasis for uh, Benjo. Where I think just like being able to read the setter and and make uh, make the best decisions is is key to it. But um, it really depends on like the game plan as well. But I think yeah, the for practices where middles are working on um, split read blocking, I, w- I would say most practices. So get quite a bit of rep. 
Amazing. Yeah. And if you had to explain like where your eyes are going, um, one thing that uh, Kern mentioned, I know he's a pin blocker. You're obviously a middle and there might be a little bit different sequence, but he really liked to look at the setter as long as possible. And I think when we're teaching young athletes, we do like ball setter, ball hitter. But, but I'm curious, are you following that sequence with your eyes? Or when you say you're really trying to read the setter, like what, what's some information you're looking for to help you, you know, make a better decision? Because uh, obviously things are happening really quick out there. I'm wondering how do you read and really decide and maybe try to get a head start on some information that setters are giving you? Yeah. Um, well, I think it just, it's first, it just starts with, uh, the pass. I look at the ball all, all the way until it gets to the setter's hands because I'll get the most information out of that. Um, if it's like a high pass or a fast pass, depend, depending on the tempo. And then, and then my eyes will lock onto the setter's hands because that'll give me the best information with my split read. And, and um, and then from there, yeah, I'm, I'm watching the ball, and then I'll watch. I'll yeah. Then then usually I watch to finish the block. I'll try to watch um, the outside hitter or whatever middle blocking middle blocker attacker um, where they're hitting. Like I don't know. Ben Joe kind of talks. I don't I don't know if you've heard this before, but he kind of explains it like Angry Birds. Like you're when you're shooting an Angry Birds back, and it has that little dotted line where where uh, somebody's where you're making your shot or whatever um that's kind of the line of the attack you want you want to cut off so being aggressive with your block so that's that's as far as my eyes go awesome that makes sense yeah yeah for sure and when you keep saying like split read are you saying like maybe you don't have to give up this intel like I, I'm, I'm not sure actually if you're going back to Trinity next year or if benjo wants you to share the system but uh, as a middle you're never really in like a commit situation where you're going to follow the other team's middle like your your base defense is you're always kind of reading and trying to really get on the setter that there's there's not a middle like uh I, I don't know that you would just go stand in the gap if they're running like a 31 there's nobody you would follow around the court in those situations I mean, it, it it all depends. Like it would it would depend on our game plan or who we're playing against. Um, but most of the time, I think it's best to to be neutral um, and not and not front. But um, it really yeah, it depends on on the, what system we're trying to run and what system we're defending against. So. Awesome. Awesome. And with all the talented wings you've played with over the years, like Lepke and Kern and Elser and just all these guys, is there anything that you would like to single out that a really good pin blocker does to help you as a middle? Like, are your eyes really locked on the setter and then trying to get to the hitter and then figure out this line where the ball's going to cross? Or are you relying on your pin hitters to really set the zone or do anything special that maybe any younger middles or younger pin blockers listening right now, they could really pick up a tip from you? Because I think you do such a fantastic job as an individual, but I'm curious what pin blockers can do to help the the talented middle get more blocks too. Well, um, Definitely just setting a, a solid block, like be able to have a correct alignment on on the hitter. So like if that's it's like right hand chest or right hand on um, right shoulder, like depending on what they're trying to take, the, whatever the hitter's primary shot is. So I think s- setting the block is very important because it just makes the middle middle's job very easy to just close the block and 
and hopefully get a get a block off it. But um, the second is I think just being vocal, like when to go up and when not to, and uh, and if there's situations if I'm I don't know rolling off the, the outside uh, outside player, then um, being able to like switch if if I don't know something happens and the ball go, goes on to the other side and we don't have enough time for the middle to go all the way back uh, to neutral. Like I think just outside uh, blockers just being very vocal um, with the middle blocker is a huge plus. It makes my job a lot easier. Nice. Nice. And another thing that uh, is really special about your gym is you're either across the net from like Matthias Elser setting or Derek Epp, it feels like, right? So with, with high level setters who are going to look through the net, try to be deceptive, like every drill, they're going to be battling against you, right? Like that middle setter uh, back and forth seems to be the game a lot. Is there anything you can recommend as a middle that works well for you? Because we've we've had a lot of setters on the show and they, they do a great job breaking down their eye work and trying to like create spreads and make it stressful for you. Is there anything a middle can do to count? other than like like you said i think being patient and being neutral might be the hardest thing for most setters right yeah i think playing against those kind of setters like they're world class so being able to to read read the setter i think is important just i know we say this in our gym all the time but don't go until you know like don't make a premature move because you'll end up looking silly like Occasionally, maybe you'll get it right and you'll get a good block. But yeah, just going until you have enough information to know where the ball is going to go, I think is huge for a middle blocker. And then how do you feel about your process? Like when you're playing a Canada West match on Friday, are you watching a lot of tape as soon as you can? Like as soon as the week starts on maybe your Sunday, Monday, or is that kind of built into the practice plan? And then once you see them live, you kind of get it like how soon are you able to pick up setter tendencies? Like does video do it any justice or do you feel like you need to be across the net from them to really get like a feel for what they're doing? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I think video definitely helps like seeing tendencies if they, if they like feeding the same guy, um, like twice or if a guy makes a mistake, if it's going to come back to him or, um, I don't know, tendencies with, um, like when he's back setting, if he's arches early or, opens up his hips or whatnot. Like I feel like I get definitely get a better read off on a setter the second night playing against them. Um, but usually we'll have uh, in the game plan, there's different rotations. We'll, where we'll, we'll know the highest percentage where the ball is going to go. So usually we have that all, that all um, mapped out for us already. But I mean, anything can happen when you, go to a game and it's close and but um but following the game plan and seeing yeah where the high percentage of balls are going to go it is definitely helpful in different rotations nice nice and is there a way you found to update that during the match because one thing i think is fascinating about high level athletes is just how they layer on to a game plan so maybe friday at the start of the match like this is the plan and this is what we expect and then after the first set you're going to have more information and then after the first match you're going to have more information like as a middle obviously you want to be going off feel and being athletic but how are you able to kind of 
go through the the habits or the tendencies of a setter like are are coaches helping you every like three rotations when you come off to the box like to give you more information or do you feel like you're pretty confident gathering that information and going off field because uh, i think video is fantastic but maybe a setter is going to do something different because they're playing against you versus maybe another middle in the league right so you always got to be updating what they're trying to do against you and uh, i'm always curious do we want athletes like over analyzing and thinking about these decisions or do we just want you to be an athlete and go off field that's another great question. Um, I mean, I feel like pretty confident um, gathering information, but I definitely take it all in. Um, if there's any advice coming from the bench, like um, even the other middles in the gym that aren't aren't playing, um, sometimes I'll just ask, like, are you are you seeing anything setter um, with any outsides? Like, I'm not I'm not closing well, or um, he's just getting past me. So I, I usually try to talk to my teammates, but for sure, like, um, the game plan is very flexible. Like I, it's, uh, when something's not working, um, Ben Joe and, uh, Ben Ball, Adam Schreimer, um, are all quick to, to reevaluate what we have to do. So they're really good at giving me, giving me information. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it's constant, but if, there is a problem going on then um they'll certainly let me know but about about the feel um yeah that is a interesting thing like sometimes you just you feel like okay they they have to be setting the middle here like it's not going to go anywhere else and i mean occasionally that works but like for our system and um for the team as a whole like that might not always be the best decision unless unless you've communicated with um, your outside blockers that, Hey, like I'm going with the middle here, you're on your own, um, which is, which is fine. But um, yeah, I would say, I would say I would want to communicate uh, with my team before I do anything off field. Nice. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Another important part of your game, like obviously anyone who's seen you play shows like how offensive you can be and how athletic you are. So obviously the blocking stuff is the primary and like you're really important to the role of your team's defense. But uh, the offensive side of the ball, is that something you've always enjoyed since high school and club? Because it seems like you're aggressive. You don't take plays off. You're always going to be an option for your setter. Like, was that something you felt like you had to train up or that was something that like drew you to the middle position right off the bat? Yeah, um, I think I think it started from a young age. I always loved watching hitting warm up and and I don't know middle bounces and fifty threes. So I was I was always pretty infatuated with um, that aspect of the game. But as far as yeah, being um, being available in transition is probably the biggest most important thing I, I believe that a middle can provide because it just opens everything up. Like middles always get lost in transition. Um, and if you're available, it just, it opens a pipe. It opens outside hitters. Like it just opens everything up for everyone. So definitely it's, uh, that's something I've always um, took pride in of being available and doing what I can. And sometimes like if I'm, even if I'm not getting the ball, but there's a pipe, run over me and uh, I don't know Brody Hofer Eric Lebke just crushed the pipe like um, sometimes that can be more rewarding than actually getting the kill myself Uh, um, so yeah I think that's uh, 
that's always been a, a part I've been very invested in. And I, uh, Ben Joe was constantly kind of telling me the importance of being available um, for the center and how, how that opens everything up. Yeah, that's so cool to hear you say that because, yeah, watching some Trinity highlights, for sure there's going to be a pipe that's run into like a huge gap or a one-on-oh. And it's just cool that you you take pride in that situation, even though it won't show up on like a stat sheet or you're not getting a lot of credit. It's just cool that as a middle, you're really owning that role, that you're, you're trying to create space for these guys. So that, that's such a cool message. And I hope more club kids pay attention to that because, yeah, middles, you guys work the hardest, it feels like, and you don't always get the credit. But uh, it, it's cool that you're keeping track in your mind that you create some pretty cool opportunities, too. Uh, so in Ontario here, I was telling Brody, I, I thought we were pretty lucky to host the Can-Am. And I think uh, Unity Volleyball and the Shermer family, they did a great job hosting that. But uh, one of the cool things was just to compare Canadian volleyball to the NCAA. And what was even cooler was just the matchups that like you and Pierce got against uh, like the Lewis Middle. I think Tyler Mitchell was a really special player. It was fun to watch him play. And obviously uh, with Danon being a Scarborough guy, it was cool to like compete against him when he was a Titan here in the OVA circuit, but also see him playing at UCLA. So just curious your thoughts coming into the Can-Am, like it's a holiday tournament. You guys are in a little bit of an off season, but were you fired up to play against some NCAA schools and not only NCAA schools, but some top, top middles that maybe you wouldn't have access to maybe ever seen these guys before, but it was just a chance to play against the, some national team caliber guys across the net. Yeah, I was, uh, that was probably one of the uh, most enjoyable tournaments I've been a part of, especially just um, playing at, at such a high caliber um, tournament, like the the talent was was nuts, like with the NCAA players there and the middle who got to play against. Uh, but yeah, I didn't, uh, I, I had, hadn't really watched too, too much uh, NCAA before the tournament. We, we did some video on them, but yeah, I was I was more just looking forward to um, kind of seeing like how we compare to these uh, top tier schools, and ended up being a great tournament for us. And yeah, I think it's opened the door for uh, a lot of future things to come and um, conversations that something like this will happen again, or um, maybe we're coming down to the states. I don't know. It's kind of I don't know. Oh, it's nothing set in stone, but there's been conversation with it after. So it's really exciting to, to see that and, and being a part of that has been been a huge honor. And is there ever a sense in the team room? Like I was really lucky to speak to some coaches and NCAA players, and I thought it was funny that it kept coming up that, yeah, they were excited to play like Ryerson Mac and U of A. Like those are obviously top schools and they were excited, but a, a lot of them wanted to be across the net from Trinity that maybe they heard the hype or they've seen video and they know that like a lot of good players there. Like, was that something that you guys feel where I don't want to over dramatize it, but it feels like Trinity's men's volleyball team has reached the level of like Duke basketball where everybody's going to get their best, whether it's some somebody you've seen before or not like you're just always going to get the best people have heard of you no matter what gym you're in like does those conversations ever come up just over dinner or in the team room or were you guys just treating it like a fresh opportunity and like I said it was a holiday tournament it was something a little bit different and that was enough to get you excited yeah definitely I'd say like we try not to uh, like buy the hype like we're going it doesn't really matter if we're playing UCLA or the worst team in the league like we're we're coming out each game being as prepared as the last so i think we just keep each game um the same and um and how we approach it so 
I don't really think uh, – I, I know that every team we play against is, yeah, usually gonna we're going to see their best or they're, they're all fired up. And um, it's, I think it's that level of consistency we, we, uh, we try to bring to every game. And I think that's in our preparation, uh, which uh, I think gives myself the most confidence where I, I believe we do everything in our power to be as – most ready as we can be before we um, enter that game. So, yeah, um, but playing against yeah some different and fresh teams um, from the NCAA uh, was special, and, and I think it just it, it was kind of a, a mutual shared excitement um, being a part of that tournament and playing yeah, against such high-caliber players. Awesome. Awesome. And like I said, uh, we were talking before the show about the amount of Trinity guys we've had on. And I just think it's a cool culture where each guy's added a little bit, something extra where it doesn't seem like Benjo has like the same mantra or the same story he tells every team and everybody just buys into it with tradition that like Eric Lepke really invested in like the 20 mile March story. And other guys have talked about like the Brewster uh, Springsteen quote, uh, Adam Schreimer really liked the idea of like being dependable and accountable. Like, is there anything within the culture that you really gravitate to or that Ben Joe's kind of explained to you just about how, how he sees you or how you fit into the culture, what the Trinity culture is about? Like, is there anything culturally that you think is, is a pretty cool job that everybody buys into or that's really resonated with you? Uh, yeah, I think that one of the biggest things with the culture is, um, it's just, it feels like a brotherhood. Like I'm, I'm playing with my, yeah, my best friends every single day. And, um, and yeah, there, there's a lot of yeah, hard times and a lot of great times throughout the season. And, um, I think Ben Joe is really good at evaluating what the team needs and kind of what the theme of the year is. Each year is going to be different. Um, but then, then kind of in, individual mantras like, um, a big one for me is um, out of your head and into your eyes where um, I tend to be uh, internal um, when I play sometimes when I'm, things aren't going so well or I'm, I don't know, sulking on a, a mistake or something. But uh, yeah, just there's a lot of individual kind of golden nuggets um, the coaching staff provides for, for each player. And um, yeah, each player can have maybe a little bit different perception of what that is and what it means to them. But um, I think that's what the a really unique thing about Trinity is, is um, the coaching staff and the culture. Um, I think it caters to, to individuals and, uh, and then it kind of brings everyone together um, where we're kind of, we're kind of obsessed of just hanging out with each other on and off the court. So it's uh it's a really, really just fun environment, and um, I've never really felt like guys are out to get me. It's it's always been uh, really supportive and uh, a loving environment, and that ultimately, at the end of the day, you just want the, the best for that individual. And yeah, I I'm entering my fifth year, and um, looking back at with uh, the alumni that have graduated and um, the people coming in, it's it's awesome to think like. I've made lifelong friends, which uh, I don't think I would, would have if I would have been anywhere else. I'm, I think there's a lot of great schools, but Trinity just has this unique uh, culture to it that's uh, it's really contagious. So, yeah. 
Nice, nice. And I'm curious, how do you find the the balance of that, especially being a middle in that gym where you're just battling against guys over and over again, where you have this brotherhood. But uh, one thing Eric mentioned in his show is that it wouldn't be a big deal if he were to look across the net at like Derek up and say like, Hey, you guys need to pick it up over there. Like if somebody's slacking or not giving you the best opportunity to work on what you need to, or if you're not providing that for them, it, it seems like guys are comfortable for lack of a term to like call each other out. But I'm curious how you found that balance of like, th- th- there's a brotherhood, but we still have like a job to do and we're in the gym. And when I'm across the net from you, we're competing. We're not like just being friends about it. Right. Does that make sense? Like how did you find the balance of when you're in those competition situations of practice to like go at each other, but still like respect each other? Yeah. Like uh, brothers fight, like we're going to get on each other. We're going to hold each other accountable. And um, I think being initially when I was younger, if I yeah, got criticism um, or I don't know, yelled at or whatever, it could be, I uh, might, might've, not taking it the same way as I do now. Um, like I, we hold each other to a high standard and we, sometimes we have to get on each other to execute a certain thing we want to achieve. And, um, I think I've just grown to appreciate that more and more and more. And I think every guy, uh, respects each other on the team. So it makes it easy when a guy is, uh, coming, coming to you with a concern and, um, yeah, some things even off the court that we can we address like with communication in between points or um, what uh, guys um, don't like about about you when you're playing or like if uh, I don't know like I had some great conversations with uh, my roommates on Gatineau, uh, Matisse Elster and Brody Hofer. We were kind of talking about like I don't know stuff that we. Uh, we don't like about each other when we, when we play with each other and kind of hard conversations, but really great conversations to have, um, and to address. So, yeah, I think we do a really good, a good job at yeah calling each other out and, um, and wanting what's best, um, for the team as a whole. So. And is there any tips or through your process that you found, like, how do you take that feedback and like, evaluate but not get like down on yourself right because i think it's easy for all of us to take criticism especially from people like we love and respect right in this team environment but it it sounds like you guys can have those hard conversations so i'm just curious how you approach that where somebody can tell you something and you're you're gonna take that feedback and maybe you apply it or maybe you don't think they're right but you're gonna make them feel heard and respected like how have you matured into that because those can't be easy conversations that just happen every day right no oh yeah it's I think it's it depends on the player. Uh, it depends who you're talking to. I think uh, younger guys you might want to be a little bit more careful, uh, and some guys uh, receive criticism better than others. Like uh, it, it really depends on the guy and what uh, your relationship is with him. But um, uh, when I take it, it, I think it's it's yeah, it can, it's definitely something you don't want to hear all the time, but um, it's something that that you need to hear. So um, how I try to take it is that that person wants what's best for me. And um, and like, yes, I, I should evaluate it and actually see if it's uh, legitimate. And, and most of the time I think it is. So um, I don't think guys are just um, like throwing around claims or anything or calling each other out purely off emotions, maybe in a practice, in a practice sometimes like, 
you know, get a little heated or whatever, and there, there's going to be some uh, uh, mixed emotions with uh, with what you're communicating to the guy, which uh, usually you can. It's just it isn't personal. It's just it's just the heat of the moment. But um, yeah, I, I I try to take it as the guy just wants what's best for me, and we're in a culture and on a team where uh, we strive to um, hold each other at a high standard and take ownership of our own actions and yeah I just try to I try to look at it that way and um, to try to grow as a man because um, you know, stuff like this is going to happen in the future with with uh, work and, and family and yeah nice man so so great to hear some insight there so thanks for sharing that and uh, one thing I'm always curious about the Trinity culture and hearing that you're kind of like an internal guy and how you fit into this like Pierce kind of let us know behind the curtain a little bit about the the Trinity culture that you guys aren't super serious and that's by design. Like he, he thinks you guys played best uh, in his years there where you were just kind of over the spectrum a little bit closer to like the, the silly side or having joy that you guys didn't want to be super serious and not celebrate and, and just kind of be like dialed in the whole time where when you're loose and having fun, he thought the team was at the best. So uh, I'm curious how did you feel like you fit into that? Because um, for lack of a better term, I don't know if you would consider yourself like a big rah-rah, like cheerful guy or anything, but it seems like you do perform in this system. So how do you approach like this, this joy thing where it's okay to laugh and have fun with your friends versus like, I don't know, sometimes high performance sport, people think it needs to be serious all the time. Right. Yeah, that's funny. I, uh, I would say I would agree with Pierce. Like I think uh, a little bit more silly, um, when he was here was, was the right approach. Like, um, things to be light on the court is always nice. And I even have kind of like a mini reset button, um, uh, kind of mantra. Like I, I tap, I kind of hit my leg twice on the side of my thigh and, um, it brings me back to, uh, when I used to play with, uh, Jesse Elster in club. And we, when we were both middles, we block each other and I would kind of pound my, my, um, chest twice and if I got a block on him and if he got a uh, if he bounced the ball on me, he would his hit his chest twice and um, it's kind of like a little reset button where it kind of reminds me like what I play and why I play is like one is like friendship and the ability to play with one another like with guys you love but uh, also that at the end of the day it's just it's fun and like I'm I'm playing volleyball because it's a great time and I it brings me a lot of joy and it brings guys around me a lot of joy and um, I think having a little bit of a silly atmosphere um, kind of helps with that so I think not always in practices it's it's great to be too silly or but I think for games it to be a little silly um, kind of brings the best out of a lot of players and I'm, I'm curious, you're with the national team now, you, you've been in Gatineau before, like, do you ever feel like when you leave the Trinity culture that you have to be somebody else or like, do you apply this to, to every team you're going to be a part of? Because obviously it's going to change the group dynamic changes, the coaches change. And obviously now you're in the team room and there's some UBC guys and there might be some like OUA guys, right? So the, it obviously changes quite a bit, but uh, is, is there anything that you've built into your routine that you're going to take with you that uh, the Trinity culture really serves you well and you're always going to apply it? Or do you feel like you, you have to be flexible and always be adjusting to like what that squad's going to need from you too? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, I, I think the ability to be flexible um, is key because um, every team is different. 
um, some teams might perform better if they're more on the serious side. And like, yeah, being out here in Team Canada, like I think there's definitely stuff I I do bring like where I don't know, just like trying to be a friend to each and every guy on the team. I think just builds a, a better chemistry and and. and I don't know, uh, brings more open uh, discussion and conversation when you're comfortable with the guys around you. So I think that's something I've kind of brought from Trinity. But um, yeah, as far as the level of play, it's I think it's important to be flexible to um, what the team needs and what the coaches want. So, yeah. Nice. And you guys are scheduled to play in the Pan Am Cup, but with that being an unknown, just with like the the state of the world right now, like how do you find your ability to get focused for practice and really dial it up? Like obviously around new guys, um, I'm not sure if you've played for Bravo as a coach before, so maybe that's enough excitement. But are you a guy who really needs to be fueled by competition, or if COVID's taught us anything, like maybe you enjoy going to practice and just going through the process? Like I'm curious how you feel like you're preparing, and maybe how the the squad is preparing for the next uh, the the summer ahead of you. I guess right. Yeah, um, I'm definitely fueled on competition. I've, I'm pretty hungry to play again. I've uh, this year, like I really just didn't want to waste this year um, for skill and development goals. So I feel like I've had an amazing opportunity to work on things that otherwise wouldn't, because you know a lot of the season is you're trying to get in rhythm for a game or you're trying to get something down. I don't fix 30 or whatever, but um, this year um, and the summer, I have an opportunity for more development and um, to get better. Yeah, I was an overall player in all aspects. So I'm really trying to focus on that. Um, but yeah, I'm super hungry to actually have a competition. I would love if we could do the Pan Am, but um, I mean, I get it's up in the air. I don't know if it will happen. I, I feel like it likely won't, but uh, yeah, I think just taking uh, every day, each day, um, um, just the same approach as far as preparation and um, getting what I want done at the end of the day and try not to, to waste any reps. So, Well, man, this, is, this has been great. I know you're on your off day, so I want to be sensitive to your time because I know uh, you're in for another probably heavy week and the guys are going to get really firing here. So to enjoy the rest of your day, we'll, we'll get you out of here on this one. And one thing we, we've really tried to make a tradition on the show is just to share a funny or odd moment that's happened to you because I think uh, volleyball, whether you're a rec player or a high-level player, something odd or funny happens along the way just because we're in such a great community. So I was hoping you could just tell us a funny story before we let you go. Yeah, sure. Uh, this story is silly and odd. So um, in my first year, um, I had a pretty disgusting looking uh, mullet. It was kind <laughs> of uh, our whole team. I don't know whose idea it was, but we all decided to get mullets. And every like two weeks or so, I'd, I'd shave the side of my head and cut the top of my hair and then just leave the back. And my hair is pretty straight and <laughs> doesn't curl much. So it looked, it looked pretty gross. Um, and most people let me know, especially my parents. But um, so just fast forwarding to the very end of the season, we uh, we just lost the national championship to um, UBC and we're all pretty down. Um, and we go back to the hotel room and um, the whole the whole weekend, uh, Jacob Kern is he's chirping me about he can beat me in a wrestling match, yada, yada, yada. I'm saying no way, like you, you can't beat me. 
like we'll, we'll wrestle at the end of the tournament and we'll see who comes up on top and uh so he's like okay like we'll wrestle the very the last night um after, after we play our last game so i was like okay so we're pretty down still but he's he, t- he gives me a text message and he's like hey meet me in the room like we'll we'll finally settle this and see who's the bigger man or whatnot and uh so I, I go to his room and he's on the sure enough he's waiting for me on the bed to, to wrestle so I come over and start wrestling him and a little did I know there is like probably like five or six guys hiding in the room like <laughs> behind the curtains one guy was under the bed and they come out and they all tackle me and pin me down and uh they oh I see them open the med kit and they grab these these scissors that can barely cut any tape, um, these crappy scissors. And they started cutting the back of my mullet. <laughs> and uh, they, they gave me a, the, a haircut, a uh, forced haircut in my rookie season. <laughs> well, I was pinned down, helpless. So that was uh, the only mullet I've ever had and, uh, and how I lost it. <laughs> so, yeah. That's so cool. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. So did you get it cleaned up? Because I think that year you were in Hamilton or did you fly back home with like uh, a homemade haircut from the guys when you were pinned down in a hotel room? Yeah, they, I was. Uh, yeah, we we flew back the the next day and people were calling me uh, Ellen, the Ellen um, from the, the talk, the, the show, Ellen DeGeneres or yeah. What, yeah, I kind of had that uh, hairstyle vibe going. So as soon as I landed, I went straight to Great Clips and just <laughs> told me, to, told them to fix it. <laughs> it looks really bad. I w- I'm sure I have a picture somewhere. Oh man, this is this has been great. Thank you so much for sharing all that you have. Obviously, you're a great player, and I enjoy watching you. But it's just. Uh... It it's just confirms that you're an easy guy to root for with everything you've shared and all the stories you've told. So good luck with the national team. I really hope that uh, that competition happens and exciting to hear that you'll be back at Trinity for your fifth year. So hopefully we get to watch and support you there. But for now, I just thanks for sharing all that you did. It was great to learn about your career and just kind of touch up on the great thing that Trinity has with the culture. And you're a big part of that. So thanks for taking the time, even though you got a, I'm sure a full off day of just rest and recovery before you get back at it, but really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks, Josh. I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. Doing great things on this.